0: Father, um, we love you, we need you. I pray that you give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, minds to comprehend, and feet that wanna run with obedience. I pray that as we study your word, that its creative power will bring life to us. Father, that the inspiration within it will renew us and change us, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are in the book of Revelation. Next week, we will have our um, Easter sermon, one of the best times of year to celebrate Jesus' resurrection. But until next week, what we are going to do is we're gonna continue in the book of Revelation. So chapter nine is where we are. And there's been a lot going on in the book of Revelation. The unveiling of Jesus, who is he? And when he returns, there's going to be end time events. There's dog hair on me. (laughs) It's gonna just tickle my nose. And then there's a cat in here too. Anyone else hear the cat? (laughs) Um, So in-time events will be taking place. So while these in-time events take place, um, we're learning about the unveiling of Jesus. So last week in the book of Revelation, we saw seven angels blowing trumpets. And as each angle, angel angle, right, as each angel blows the trumpet, God's wrath is being released on the Earth. So last week, four trumpets were blown, And we saw four different pieces of God's wrath towards the Earth. The first judgment against the Earth, when the first judgment was blown by this angel, was against the vegetation of the Earth. You guys remember, it was the trees and all of the grass, a third of all the trees, a third of all the vegetation and all of the grass, scripture says. And then the second judgment was against the oceans. And then what we learned about the oceans is a third of the ships will be destroyed and a third of the sea life, whether vegetation or not, mammals, sea life will be killed. And what we started to see is when a third of the Earth's trees and all of the grass and all the, a third of the vegetation on life and then a third of the aquatic life and plants within the sea start to become destroyed, the atmosphere here on Earth will be unique. Many people do not know this, but 50%, at least 50% of the Earth's oxygen actually comes from the plankton within the sea. So when we have a third of that destroyed and a third of the vegetation on land destroyed, imagine how difficult it might be for us to breathe here on Earth. That's pretty scary to think about, isn't it? And not only is it scary to think that those things will be destroyed, but the, the way by which this destruction comes is something that terrifies me to even think about. And then the third one was judgment against the fresh water. God's judgment will come against a third of the fresh water. And what we learn is if we, learn, if we lose a third of the fresh water, a lot of the vegetation um, doesn't have anything to um, live off of, right? So corn and wheat and trees. And then what do we have to drink, right? And then what do animals drink? So then starvation will take place in a lot of the world. And what people have said is when the, um, I guess, the first class, the... um, First-class world, right? So when America faces economic problems, the third world dies. So when the first world experiences hard times, the third world dies. So imagine when all these things are taking place, the starvation and the hunger, people are going to begin to die. And then the fourth judgment that we saw last week was the judgment against the atmosphere. A third of the sun will be darkened. And then the lesser light, not only will a third of the sun and the lesser light be darkened, but then it says that time will be shortened. The day will be shortened by a third. scary stuff. And where we ended last week was, this is God's wrath against the earth as he gets it back, as he takes back what is rightfully his. And where we ended last week was, We need to be, as scary as these end-time events are, Jesus received the fullness of that wrath so that you and I could have a relationship with him. Amen? So as scary as those things were, Jesus received that, the fullness of God's wrath for you. So now when we get into the rest of these judgments, the fifth trumpet um, deals with, demons being released from the bottomless pit. The sixth trumpet, a third of the humans are killed by demons. And then the seventh trumpet is the refusal of repentance. So as we get into Revelation chapter nine, during the fifth trumpet, the devil is given authority chapter nine, verse one, the fifth angel sounded his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. So the fifth angel sounded his trumpet and a star fell from the sky and this star was given keys to the abyss. I've always asked people this question. It's not really a trick question. It's just kind of the way we've always thought about heaven and hell. And I've asked the question this, who owns the keys to hell? And people's initial thoughts are, Well, the devil controls hell. The devil oversees hell. The devil has the keys to hell. No, God, Jesus, carries the keys to hell. So what we see happening here is Jesus is giving the keys to Satan, to the abyss. So the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, the star fell, and this star, that was falling from the sky, long story short, would appear to be Satan. Isaiah 14, 12 says this, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. Luke 10:18. he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. See, the fallen star here is Satan in the book of Revelation, and he was given the keys to the shaft of the abyss. Jesus gives him the keys. So what's interesting about that, that I've said this over and over again, who peels back the seals in Revelation? Who does it? Jesus. Jesus. So what does that mean? As Jesus pulls back the seals, who's in control? Jesus. Right. So now what we see going on here is what does Jesus do? Jesus gives keys. So who's in control? Jesus is in control. So as all of this takes place in the book of Revelation, Jesus pulls back the seals. Jesus gives the keys. Jesus is in charge of the events that are taking place when all hell breaks loose. Therefore, it would appear that hell is now opened. Smoke rolls out and it darkens the sun. Now, the idea of the smoke-like furnace isn't new. It often refers to devastation of a nation. Genesis 19.28 uses similar language. It says this, he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So what we begin to see is in the book of Revelation, there's going to be destruction of land, of nations, of people and things. But is this smoke literal? Or is it not? I'm not sure of that. But whatever the devil moves in, whenever the devil moves, it brings darkness. So the devil here during the fifth trumpet is given authority. During the fifth trumpet, demons are released to attack humans. Verse 3. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only the people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, we know that the locusts are symbolic for something because the locusts are told not to harm the grass or any plant or tree, or those who have the seal of God on their forehead. So we know that this is symbolic. Why? Because we know that all of the grass was destroyed in chapter 8. So God's not going to Release them to destroy all the, or not to harm the grass when there's no grass, right? So this is symbolic of something. Now, a piece of my hypothesis could be the trees and the grass were 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 talking about the fruit of who God's people were, right? So a piece of it, I think, what what this is symbolic towards is don't touch the fruit of my people, because you could you couldn't touch those who had the seal of God on their head, right? but you could touch anything else. Nevertheless, real locusts destroy plants, grass, and trees. So the locusts are symbolic of demons. We see that the four trumpets were against the earth. Now the last three are against God's, or not God's people, but people. First four against the earth, next three against people. And during this trumpet, trumpet, demons will be given authority to harm those who are not sealed by God. Thus, potentially further indicating that God's people will be here. So, these sealed believers we learned about in Revelation chapter seven will be protected by God's wrath, amen? God's people will be protected during his wrath. We have seen God always protect his people from his wrath all throughout scripture. Exodus for an easy example. This is scary stuff. The earth is going to face this wrath and then people will face God's wrath and demons are going to be released to torture people. So during, yeah, the fifth trumpet, demons are released to attack humans. During the fifth trumpet, humans will suffer and seek death. Verse five, they were not allowed to kill them. The demons. the demons were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts look like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates, um, like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the uh, thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. They had as um, they had as kings over them the angels of the abyss. Those names in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is Apollyon, that is destroyer. That's scary. These demons are going to have hair like women, teeth like lions, faces like humans, a tail that can torture, breastplates and crowns. Can you get the picture a little bit? These demons are something that you don't want to see. So these demonic locusts will be given permission to torment people. You know what I'm thinking to myself? I don't want to be here. Come on, somebody. Past several weeks, I feel like y'all been sleeping. Maybe I ain't communicating well. Maybe you've been scared. I don't know what it is. But I don't want to be here. So what ensures me that I'm not going to be here? Not good works, not tithing more, not serving at more soup kitchens, not walking more grannies or papaws across the street. You ain't no granny or papaw. You got it, girl. The good works don't get us there. What gets us there? Repentance. Putting our faith in Christ alone. Amen. Turning from the direction that we're heading and turning to God. Amen. Sanctification is something that we're always going to work on on this side of earth. And what ends up happening is we think that we don't have anything to repent of, we think that we're good people. And pride and deceit comes into our lives where we say, I'm good. I'm a good person. And we forget that for the rest of our lives, until the other side, we're going to have things that need to be worked out of us. And when I read stuff like this, I say, God, I don't want to be here for that. I don't want anyone to be here for that. So work out in me whatever you have to. Stir up in me a heart of humility and repentance. And I ask you today, because, because much of why we're allowed, the, the book of Revelation is given to us, so that we would say it and we would repent that we would see what's going on. We we would see the things that will come to this earth. And we would say, God, that's scary. I need to repent of my sin. And much of why God allows his wrath to come to earth is that people will see his wrath and people will, will turn to him instead of sticking to their ways. And during this time, humans will suffer and they will seek death as these demonic locusts have reigned in their life for five months. So if you don't wanna be here today, some of those things that God has been working on you in, your pride, your lack of trust, your lust, your greed, your arrogance, your lack of humility, whatever you're dealing with, your coveting, you know what you're dealing with, right? And here's the thing. You know what you're dealing with more than the person next to you even knows. The person next to you doesn't know your deepest, darkest thoughts. The de- person next to you doesn't know your inner man or inner woman the way that you do. We all know that God is calling us to repentance. I'm not, I'm not challenging us today to overly question our salvation. Paul does tell us to um, challenge ourselves to make sure that we're in the faith, right? But I'm not saying every day that you live, live as if, as if you have to get saved every day again. But what I am saying is God is asking us as people to repent of sins. And we need to do that. Amen? If we, I'm not pointing at the White House or other leadership uh, positions. I'm just saying, if I would repent and if you would repent, if sometimes we would worry about our repentance more than someone else else's repentance, we'd have a much godlier nation. Amen? Amen. So if we as a church want to see revival, then we should repent. So God is allowing these things to happen and these trumpets are being sounded and scary things are coming to earth because he desires that not one would perish. These demonic locusts will have permission, but they will also have parameters on their movements. What does that tell us? The parameters are there because God is in control. They will be granted permission to torture humans for five months. So five months is a parameter, and guess what another parameter is? They can't kill them. It reminds me of the book of Job when God gives the enemy parameters. Job chapter 2, verse 6. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So do whatever you need to him. Sift him however you need to sift him, but you must spare his life. That's the parameters. And the pain that these people will suffer on earth will be that like a scorpion. Anyone ever been stung by a scorpion? Me neither. I just wanted to know. We are going to let you testify today. (laughs) Well, we need a volunteer today. (laughs) All right, come on up. Mark, bring out the box. (laughs) You know what? That's what we're going to do next week. (laughs) (laughs) What I've heard and what I've read about scorpions is this, is most scorpion stings are not deadly. Most, if not all scorpion stings are extremely painful and agonizing. They cause you frustration because of the infection. They're not deadly, but they cause a huge problem. So these demons are going to be like scorpions who who are going to strike you and strike you and strike you and strike you. Or not you, but whoever, who, whoever's here, not marked by God, they're going to strike them. And they're going to wish that they were dead. So not only did God give parameters to the enemy, he also gave parameters to humans. Because as these humans are being struck and they want to die, guess what the scripture says? They want to escape death, but they won't be able to elude it. What does that sound like? These people will seek death through means of their own hands. They won't be able to escape it. They won't be able to find it. God is going to keep these people alive. That's oddly comforting. When loved ones and loved things die, who was the breath in the lungs? God was. These people are trying to take their own very lives, and God's saying, no, you got to stay alive. Kind of weird to think about. But God is sustaining these people. So the demons are given parameters, or these people who are here on earth are given parameters. You're not even going to be able to kill yourself. Now, why would he do this? Why would God not allow these people to escape by taking their own life? I believe he does it because he gives them an opportunity to repent. He's given these people an opportunity that as as they're experiencing his wrath in this torment to say, you know what? I'm turning from my sin and I'm I'm turning to you. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Amen? You know why sometimes we don't get what we deserve? Because God's patient with us. And you want to know what we convince ourselves of? Is that because we didn't experience some of God's wrath or something bad in our life, that we think that God approved of it. Just because we don't get what we deserve doesn't mean that God approves of it, amen? God is patient with us. He's gentle with us. He's slow. Why? Because he doesn't want us to perish. He wants every single one of us to come to repentance. So we have these human suffering these humans who want to seek death, we have demons who are attacking humans, and the devil was given authority, all in the fifth trumpet. But now, the sixth angel comes. And what scripture says in verse 12 is, the first woe is past, the two woes are yet to come. Now, why John is presenting these as woes the first four trumpets were bad, and then he says the woes are coming, right? And why he's saying the woes is these things are bad. These things are worse than what was just here. So the first woe is past, yet two others to come. Verse 13, the sixth angel. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar. That is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. This is interesting for sure. What this says is that there are four angels who are bound or locked up at the great river of Euphrates. And then what's gonna happen is these four angels will be released. So this would appear that there are angels that are locked up Somewhere in the Euphrates River, according to the scripture. Kind of strange. It's biblical, but certainly strange. So let's look at Revelation chapter 16 for a little bit of extra context before I speculate a little bit. Revelation 16, 12 through 14. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs, and they came out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle on the great day. Of God Almighty. So, what's happening here in Revelation chapter sixteen is the sixth angel poured out his bowl, and the uh, on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Now, some people speculate when um, the Red Sea was parted. You know. uh, preschool, kids class, right? What kids classes always depicted for us, Sunday school, right, is Moses standing there and then the water's just hovering like a thousand feet in the air so that God's people could walk through it, right? If you've ever watched the show Bruce Almighty, you see him do that with his potato soup. Or not potato soup, tomato soup. You guys see that? Anyone know what I'm talking about? and Bruce Almighty parts the bowl. Some people have suggested that just simply high winds, high winds during that time parted the seas. God did it, but it was high winds that just moved the water where there was an area where they could walk across, but it wasn't this thousand-foot wall of water on each side. So... Sometimes when we read scripture, we think that what's going to happen with the Euphrates River is that the Euphrates River is one day just going to wake up and be gone. It's just going to dry up. One day you're going to have it, the next day it's going to be gone. Or what can happen is just things can lead up to it. As we've been saying throughout all of the book of Revelation is the end of time and the mark of beast isn't going to happen overnight. We see systems being established in the world right now that are leading to the system of the mark of the beast. We see um, banking systems and um, things that the governments are doing to put in one world order. Now, whether they know that one world order is their plan and they're working for the spirit of the Antichrist or not, what's happening is all of these things are pushing to the end. Likewise... The interesting piece right now is the book of Revelation says that the Euphrates River will dry up. And then these things will happen. And here's where you celebrate God too is the point that I'm getting at is the Euphrates River is drying up right now. And our Bibles have prophesied that the Euphrates River will dry up. Come on somebody. Isn't that unique? So when you do a little bit of study and you have some of these scientists, they're kind of um, confused by how the Bible predicted this. How did the Bible know that the Euphrates River would dry up? So it's drying up. And essentially, there was a major drought in 2007. And since then, the Tigris and the Euphrates have been drying up. Scientists say, that at the current rate, these rivers will be absolutely dry by 2040. Interesting, huh? Now, to bring clarification, the Euphrates River isn't the size of the Mad River. It's not Buck Creek. It's not any creek or creek that you drive over on a millisecond bridge. It's not the Sciota. This is much bigger. This is a major river. It's 1,740 miles long. It's 450 to 6,000 feet wide. And it's 32 feet to 148 feet deep. Ain't Buck Creek, is it? Not Mad River either. This is a major, major, major water system. Here's a picture, first picture. That's just a picture of the Euphrates. Now, where we are now, in some spaces, here's another picture. So, At some point of the 1,740 miles, here's what the Euphrates River looks like. Would you say it's drying up? Now, if we saw this at the Mad River, if we faced a drought, you wouldn't be surprised because it's not very big. But when we have a river that is 32 feet to 150 feet deep, you say, this river's never going to dry up. How would this river ever, 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 ever dry up? But it is. And the Bible predicted it. The Bible told us it's going to happen at the end of time. So, what does that tell us that we're getting closer to? The end of time. We are in the end of days. You want me to give you a date? You want me to write a book about a time? Well, I'm not, because it's not biblical. Now, as the river has receded, they have found tunnels and caves. So, you know, like, a lot of research has been poured into this, like, there was civilization living in this, what appears to be at one time. So there are tunnels and caves. And the speculation right now is that um, once the river dries up, more places will be discovered. And the speculation is this, is the place that the four angels are bound will be revealed. So the Euphrates must be um, dried up. As it's dried up in this jail, right? This jail, this cell where they're bound up, it will be exposed and then they will be released. Talk about a sci-fi movie. When I've been going through the book of Revelation, I'm just thinking sci-fi movie like unbelievable. Bare minimum, whether that speculation is true or not. The angels will be released, and the river is drying up. That's what's going to happen. Angels will be released, and right now we see the river drying up. And this thousands of year prophecy is coming true. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. So the sixth trumpet will bring death to a third of mankind. Verse 15. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind the number of the uh, mounted troops was twice 10,000s times 10,000s i heard their number the horses and riders i saw in my vision looked like this their ble- breastplates were fiery red dark blue and yellow as sulfur the heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three uh, plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury. So what we essentially see here is that this 200-man army is going to kill a third of the earth. Speculation, people who like to put names on things, talked about how several years ago, I believe it was in Time magazine, China came out and bragged that they said that they could have a 200-man army. 200 man, 200 man, 200 million, sorry. Y'all ain't even listening. I'm the only one catching myself. You're like, come on, say something. Give me some feedback. Participating church, 200 million. Time Magazine came out and said that they could have a 200 million man army. So whether they were just trying to be, trying to fulfill prophecy or not, there's going to be a 200 million man army that's going to destroy a third of the earth. Now, when we look at, when we look at the fourth of the earth that's destroyed and then a third and all of, all of the killing that happens in the book of Revelation, And after this, over a half of the Earth's population will be destroyed. So depending on when this takes place, easy figures would say that 3.5 billion people will be killed. Billion. 3.5 billion people will be killed during this time. So This 200-man army comes to kill a third of the earth. Thank you. Maybe I did that on purpose. Y'all are with me, though. Thank you. I didn't do it on purpose. After the plagues, and now woes over half the earth's population is gone. So what does this scene potentially sound like? Speculation could say this potentially sounds like World War III right? Is it World War III or is it actually demons? I'm not sure. But John was describing something that he's never seen before. So horse riders, you know, he's seeing something that appears to be horse riders, but could these horse riders be these dudes or women in jets sitting on their airborne horse, right? Or could it be a... um, Helicopter. Could it be these hovercrafts? Who knows? A motorcycle. That 1967 Corvette loaded with, right? Sounds like World War III. Fire, smoke, and sulfur. What does that sound like? Explosions. Missiles. Nukes, bombs, power of horses. The power of the horses was in their mouth. So the planes or helicopters projecting something from them. Whether it's World War III or not, whether it's war or not, whether it's the demons actually spitting something out of their mouth or not, destruction is coming. Yet the reason why one-third were killed was to provide a witness and opportunity for the remaining two-thirds to repent and turn to God. Amen? Amen? So that people would repent. God gave permission so that people would repent. See, God's plan was for people to repent. God's plan is for you and I to repent. Maybe the flat tire in your life, God allowed so that you would repent, so you would humble yourself. Verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. And I just wonder how many of us today how many of us today, God is calling God is calling all of us to repentance, as I've said before. But how many of us know that we're living in sin? And how many of us know that we're deliberately going against what God is telling us to do? But yet, we hear a message like today. And we still don't repent of our work. So the rest of mankind were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. These people saw the wrath of God but yet they didn't repent. These people saw this and they still desired their normal life. They saw all this wrath. They wanted to kill themselves and they couldn't. They were tortured for five months. They saw people die. A third of the earth die. They saw sulfur and angels, weird angels and demons They saw all these things and they still said, I want my normal life. It was interesting to me, this idea of, I just want things to go back to normal. You guys remember that in 2020? (laughs) I just want things to go back to normal. I just want things to go back to normal. And what we started to see is this idea of, we find comfort in what we're used to. And I said to myself, I don't want what's normal because normal has just been baseline and normal has been all about me and normal has just been about my comforts. And there's this thing within us that just wants what's normal because it's comfortable, even if that normal is sin. And what these people are doing here is they're saying, hey, I want what's normal. I want my normal life back. I want to keep the things that I'm pursuing. See, they did not stop worshiping the enemy. They did not stop worshiping the idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. So, materialistic things. They didn't repent and they didn't want to give up their murdering and their magic the sexual immorality in their life or their stealing they didn't want to give any of those up and some of us today are acting the same way god i know that i'm supposed to give this up but i don't want to they wanted to keep what they had going for themselves and we try to do that too and many of you have probably already landed there but it reminds me of matthew 16:25 where it says, for, for, whoever wants to, um, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it, and what we see here in the book of Revelation is these people wanted to save their life. They wanted to keep the things that they were doing. They wanted to keep their sin and the lies, and the murdering, and the thieving, and the sexual immorality. They say, God, I want it. I'm gonna keep it. And then what what does Matthew tell us? For those who want to keep their life will do what? They'll lose it. Because what Jesus was hoping that those in the book of Revelation at the end of time, and what Jesus is hoping for you and I today is this, is that we will be willing to lose all of those things in our life. We will be willing to lose our popularity, what people think of us, our sexual desires, our lies, our cheating, our stealing, our hope in material things, that we would be willing to lose even our life and to say, God, I don't care about any of that, I'm willing to give it all to you, I don't want it. For those who are willing to lose their life, in Christ will find it. So we're confronted with repentance today. We're confronted in the book of Revelation with who are we? Are we we those who will repent or are we those who say, I like this too much? And for some of us who like these things too much, we we might need prayer to uh, break the chains of the demonic strongholds in our life. If we cannot say, God, I need to repent, there might be demonic strongholds in our life that need broken. That's a scary thing too, right? How could I have demonic strongholds? Well, maybe because it's a stronghold in your life and you keep on going back to it. Maybe you feel like you have no power over it. So for whoever wants to lose their life will find it. But whoever, sorry, but whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. God's plan for these people was to repent. Just like you and I. What we read about here in Revelation is not meant for us to see how those being tested responded. But to demonstrate their unchanging character. What we see in these people is in spite of what God was allowing to happen and gave permission and parameters around, people still had unchanging hearts. And how many times does God allow things in our life yet we still have unchanging hearts? How many of us today have an unchanging heart in a certain area of our life? And I'll tell you what, I'm at least preaching to myself today. God is patient with us. But our nature wants to keep our life. See, we all have some needs. Yet, we don't change. We face rough times. We face hard times. We know he calls us to repentance. And most of us keep on waiting for this emotional moment. Today's a warning for repentance for all of us. Not many of us, all of us. Now, again, I'm not pointing, I'm not judging anyone today. I'm not looking at anyone saying, I'm accusing you or this. If I've made eye contact with you, (laughs) whoops. (laughs) You want me to face the back? Or maybe it's the spirit of God making eye contact with you because he, he wants to set you free. Repentance is a great thing. Repentance is something that God celebrates. What does scripture say? He leaves the 99 to go after the one. So when a brother or sister in Christ says, I need to repent, we don't judge them, we celebrate. Amen? Amen. So there's people in here today that this is a warning to, that God is calling and saying, hey, look, there's things in your life that you need to get rid of. But are you going to demonstrate a changing heart? Or are you going to be like those in the book of Revelation who, in spite of hearing, receiving, and seeing the warning of God, you still had an unchanging heart? That's scary. That's horribly terrifying. Because most of us keep on waiting for the emotional moment. We keep on waiting for the billboard. We keep on waiting for the the random phone call. We keep on waiting for um, God to answer and go through every little hurdle hurdle that we ask him to go through. And then we ask him just to do it all. And again, I believe that action leads to change. And in the book of John, when Jesus healed the blind man, Jesus stirred up some dirt, right? Put it all over the man's face and then told a blind man to get up and go wash his face in the water. You know what we want from God? Hey God, I'm blind. Don't mix up this dirt. Don't put this dirt on my face. Don't make me walk anywhere. Don't make me do anything. God, just heal me. And then when you heal me, leave me alone until I need you again. But what happens is is this, is repentance means that we turn from our sin and we turn to God and we make a change. We, We pursue that. We make that choice. Just as in John, what God said is, get up and go. And it was the man's obedience and the man's action that brought healing to him, not the dirt and the mud. So today, today God is calling some of us to repent. This is your billboard, this is your sign, this is the moment, this is it. No bonuses for whoever responds. I don't get no financial bonuses. I don't get a plaque at the end of the year. We don't keep stats. But there's people who need to repent today and turn to God. We see the Bible unfolding, yet we demonstrate unchanging character. So God, I believe, would say this today. Return to me with all of your heart. All of it every bit of it. Give me your heart and not your burnt offerings. Give me your heart and not your facade. Return to me, he would say, because I am gracious and compassionate. God is asking for us to return to him today. Not that we've walked away from him in all areas of our lives, But in those areas that we don't want him to touch, that we've protected, that we've hidden, that we've told him he can't have, he's saying, give those to me. Return to me in those areas. Joel chapter two. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and mourning. Verse 13 Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. So I believe that today God is asking us to return to him with all your heart. Not, 80, not, God, I give you 85% of me, but I'm just not ready for this 15%. When we say that, when we say I'm keeping that 15%, we are just as foolish as those people in the book of Revelation who see all this happen. They see all this happen, and they still have an unchanging heart. Can we agree to that? Amen. When we don't repent, we represent these people in the book of Revelation who have unchanging hearts. And if we don't see that within ourselves, we are deceived. He says, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. He's not in heaven waiting to destroy you. God is waiting for you to turn to him and turn back to him and give yourself fully to him because he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Amen? So today what I wanna do is provide us an opportunity to give our hearts to him fully once again. Those areas that you're wrestling with, that inner person that no one knows about, the thoughts, the fears, the frustration, the lack of trust, or maybe you you don't even know how to pinpoint it today. I wanna provide you that opportunity to. respond to him, to agree with him that you fall short, and to tell him that you want to take a direction towards him from this moment forward. So I'm going to pray. We're going to have you guys respond at the altar. And maybe we just get some light, light uh, music as well. So Father, in Jesus' name. know that you have forgiven us where we have fallen short. But I also know, Father, where we wait for the right moment to repent. But like those in the book of Revelation, Father, they they saw your power, they experienced some hard times, but they had unchanging hearts. They wanted to keep their life. So I pray that today, Father, that we would be people who would be willing to lose our life so that we can have you fully. May we let go of everything that keeps us from loving you. Father, I pray that even right now that you would remind us and you would convict us of areas where we're falling short, that we can't justify how good we are. Father, I pray that you would stir up in us the willingness to be bold, And uh, walk in humility to say, I need more of you, and I've messed up. And may action lead to change today, Father. Help us repent of our sins. I pray that your Holy Spirit, Father, the double portion of the Holy Spirit would flow through this congregation right now. That you would increase yourself in us. So we're going to put on the music, and as we, we don't even need the music, we don't need emotional music to repent but what we are going to do is you guys can respond to God in this moment. I do really sense the spirit moving, so, um, yeah, just honor him, honor him, um, however he's moving right now. Father, I pray that fear of man will not be keeping us from relating to you in this moment. Could we just give you permission to move in our lives. As I sit here and praying, I feel like um, God was simply just saying that um, the political spirit within our nation is what's preventing revival. And uh, as I wrestled through that a little bit, God, what does that mean? What does that mean the political spirit is preventing revival? I saw um, a video of this, um, this guy who went on. A, like six different jets. He went on just a basic plane in the commercial seat, and then he went on a first class of $10,000, first class of $20,000, first class of $50,000, a $500,000 jet, and then a million-dollar jet. And he had the money, and he made these YouTube videos, and then he just reviewed all of them. And then after his video, there was a statement that came up that said, I know that you know, essentially many people are concerned with the environment. So because I went on all of these planes, I, planted, um, I donated money to plant 100,000 trees around the world. So what he was saying was, I have to politically appear to be a certain way to offset what people are gonna think of me. So as I'm sitting there, God, what, what is it that's preventing us from being a transparent people? And he said the spirit of politics within our churches. Not within our nation, within our churches. Yeah. The lack of transparency in the spirit of politics to appear away that we are not is preventing us from experiencing revival. And until we as a church as an American church will be completely transparent and honest and get all politics out of our church, we're not going to experience revival. Can you guys relate to that at all? Anyone in here a little bit political with their spirituality? Anyone in here just a little bit afraid to respond because of the person next to us or across the room? Politics, and until We quit fearing that. We're going to keep on not experiencing revival. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray against the spirit of politics within our church, Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship. Father, it feels like a really strong word. So I pray that it wouldn't be misinterpreted. Father, I pray against the politics in my life. I pray against the politics of this church, of your church. May we become a vulnerable people before you. Knowing that as we mess up, Father, we can be transparent. As we need you, we can be transparent. Father, may we be set free from this spirit. We command it to flee in Jesus' name. May we love you more than we love people's people's opinions. In Jesus' name, amen. We could talk more about the political spirit, right? That we see within the world, but we can't allow the world's political spirit to then come into the church. And that's what's happening. So we feel like we have to submit to the, um, the agenda of he, she, her, they, me, him, right? I, him all these agendas. We don't have to. But we are submitting to it by the way that we're unwilling to be vulnerable and honest with one another because we are being political. Amen? Amen? Do you guys agree to that? If you don't, don't get mad at me. Just come talk to me. Right? We can have good discussions. So God, we love you. We need you. I ask that you bless the church this week.